Welcome to the Marketing Trench Warfare Podcast. Art and Tony are two marketers who talk about the daily battle to build a brand, grow careers, innovate, and learn. Well, hello there. Welcome back to the Marketing Trench Warfare Podcast, episode 118. I'm Tony Kavicki. Artie Coolidge. I can't believe 118 episodes, Tony. How did we get here? Like 118s? Wow. I mean, yeah. this is insane. Like we we actually uh, have a podcast. It's it's real. Oh, we actually have a podcast. I think people are are tired of us saying we actually have a podcast. Like, duh, I'm listening to it. Artie, did you want to give us an update on our release schedule of the podcast? Yes, you know we we know that if you're listening to this podcast, that means you're a cut above. You are not your average marketer or just <laughs> person who's a friend of a marketer. And we also know that means you're probably smart enough to realize that not every episode has dropped on Thursday like was our tradition. So here mm-hmm. on the podcast, with the hecticness in both Tony's and my life this time of year, we had a we had a decision to make. Do we skip <laughs> a week and just not have an episode? Or do we record an episode and drop it on a day other than Thursday? Mm-hmm. We decided for the latter. And so my encouragement is for you to think of this as one of those little advent calendars where you open up the little box and you're like, is there a treasure inside? And you don't quite know. So you might find that your latest episode is on Thursday, but during the next few <laughs> weeks, it might be on a Friday or Saturday. Uh, so just stay tuned. We're going to keep the content coming to you. Tony and I are always uh, wanting to jump in the trench together and record this. And we appreciate yeah. your uh, your understanding, patience, and accommodation of the to, holiday schedule. Yes, to uh, to take this into a World War One metaphor, uh, during World War One, when there were battles in Belgium, uh, it was very predictable that uh, the battles would be fought at Yerps. If you study World War One history, they'll talk about the first battle of Yerps, the second battle of Yerps. It go, I think it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get corrected on this, but I think it goes all the way up to the 19th Battle of Europe. <laughs> so in four years, they had 19 battles there. And in 118 podcasts, I think you and I have released like 116 of them on Thursdays. So, yes. so this is this is kind of like a battle happening at Mons instead of Europe's in Belgium. This is this is exactly. like an episode coming out on Saturday instead of Thursday. And you know, maybe Forgive we'll us. discover. We'll look at the metrics and maybe we'll discover we were dropping on the wrong day anyway. Maybe you guys like it when it's <laughs> on a day other than Thursday. You know, we, we didn't choose Thursday based on any kind of why detailed did we analysis. I have no idea, honestly. Why did why we, we choose Thursday? I don't even remember. I, I bet we chose Thursday because we, rec- we recorded the first podcast on Wednesday night or something like that. I think that's what that it has was. To be and it's reason. like tomorrow morning it'll be live. <laughs> so you see... This is just to give you a, another peek behind the curtain of how MTW is put together. We appreciate all of you who've been a listener this year, who've uh, journeyed with us as we go through this and have just mm-hmm. given Tony and I the validation of knowing that our our passion and hobby actually could hopefully benefit someone. And um, well, I, and I think it has benefited exactly. people. Exactly. We know. I, mean, I still that's get the people thing. telling me, oh, your podcast helped me out. I'm like, exactly. That's awesome. Like, keep listening. We'll try to keep helping you. Exactly. And so we just appreciate you guys. Here we are in the podcast, Tony. It's Christmas time. I mean, mm-hmm. at the time of recording, we're two weeks away from Christmas. I, I, yep, yep. I, I don't know about you, but I have to kind of be reminding myself because it's so busy. It's like, wait a second. This is it. This is like Christmas season. You know, play the Christmas music. 
drink the hot chocolate, bake the cookies. Are you feeling the Christmas spirit yet, Tony? Are you feeling like it's it's real yet for you? Yeah, I definitely I definitely am. Good. Excellent. So, now what about uh, the Wall you know Street what, people, Journal? Are they feeling the yes, Christmas spirit? <laughs> they gave us a Christmas they gave us a Christmas present already because the Wall Street Journal wrote an article talking about what you and I have been talking about on the podcast. I was like, oh, we won't talk about this at an extended length for the podcast because you can go back to any of the recent episodes over the last two months and we've covered this. Um, but it is worthy of mention just to have the Wall Street Journal round up how a lot of companies are responding to this. So basically what we've talked about is how uh, Apple is reducing the, the data that you have access to. Google is reducing data you have access to. And those two combined, you know, reduces Facebook data reliability, Google Analytics reliability, whatever. So when you can't rely on that third-party data to serve up ads, you need to have more first-party data. So the exactly. Wall Street Journal has an article that says, that's called, titled, Big Tech Privacy Moves Spur Companies to Amass Customer Data. And they just show some funny things that uh, companies have done after talking about what this is. Sure. So quoting from the article, an in-store promotion for avocados from Mexico asked people to scan QR codes and enter their personal information for a chance to win a truck. <laughs> uh, Was it a pickup Miller truck? High... Yeah, yeah, a pickup okay. truck. I was going to say, a if Facebook this is post... like not a pickup truck, it doesn't work with avocados. Like, I, I picture yeah. a pickup truck with an avocado myself. Um, it's a it's a cardboard box in the shape of a pickup truck full of avocados in the store. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, a Facebook post from Miller High Life promoted a contest offering a chance to win a patio set. Look at that. Yep. A promotion for Mountain Dew Game Fuel's loyalty program highlighted the steps to join and the prizes that could be won. And it's just like... You know, and then it talks about even smaller companies are doing this. And there's this guy that was giving away a free free lunch if you drop your business card in. Then they threw away the business cards at the end of the night. He's like, you need to have you need to have some entry level person type in all the email addresses off that business card. Uh, so I think it's just funny at, at like all the different scales. Like there's just ways that you can retain more of your customer data, retain more of your audience data creatively. And be less reliant on on Facebook. Like, if Miller Beer and uh, you know Mountain Dew and these other brands are doing something super elaborate, you might not be able to compete with that. But think about what can you do to provide something interesting for people in exchange for giving them your data. Because to be honest, like we talk about how people don't want to have their privacy violated, and sometimes there's this privacy fundamentalist stuff going on. But if you're a local restaurant that's putting out a bowl exactly. for uh, put your business card in here, like people want to trust their local coffee shop, their local restaurant, their local bike repair shop with their data a lot more than they feel about giving their data to Home Depot or Staples or Facebook and Google, right? And, and this is so I just yeah. encourage you to find some ways that you can. Uh, gather more data directly on your own. And I think, Tony, this is a, a worth parking on for a minute for our listeners here just to extend the point. This is where, again, being a smaller operation benefits you in ways that the big guys don't have, right? Mm -hmm. So if you mm -hmm. are a small nonprofit or a local charity or a local business, you have a lot more brand cachet and trustability score right there than these trustability trustability that's right i'll put that on a shirt 
you know, high <laughs> trustability. There you go. It's an artyism. But yeah, like high it, ability to trust. Yeah, because people people are much more, like you said, willing to trust you than they are a Home Depot or a Best Buy uh-huh. or a Target, right? And it's and this works so well for local restaurants. I see this all the time. Uh, my wife and I. We went to a really great French restaurant that's been in the area for like 30 years for an anniversary a few mm-hmm. years ago. And uh, when we went there, they had their own contests where they were collecting data. And it was really fun because it was actually an art contest. So like they had uh, okay. these little cards on the table and your job was to create your own version, caricature of the French chef who runs and owns the restaurant. And oh, okay. the winning caricature every three months would get like a whole multi-course dinner for two and it was fun because it's interactive you're sitting at the table waiting for your meal and you're just sitting there sketching and then you put what put your name put your email address put your address put how often you're hoping you're going to come that sort of thing and they're collecting data on the visitor yeah it doesn't feel that's that's key is don't make it feel creepy don't make you feel like you're doing this directly in response to some change that apple announced um, and if you are going to start collecting data and you haven't really been doing much of it in the first place, or you do collect data and you don't know what standards you should be using for how you handle that data, you need to get a privacy policy put together. And so Artie and I have created a helpful guide. Yes, we have. Uh, in podcast form for how to create your privacy policy. Merry Christmas. Uh, you can go back and listen to that on uh, on a previous episode. You can also go to the marketingtrenchwarfare.com website and click on our privacy policy and we will walk you through how we made it. So and, and go this ahead, is something, have fun with that. This is something, too, that is worth re- repeating from that episode. If you want to be a company that has a high trustability score, you can craft <laughs> a privacy policy that's actually part of your brand promise and that as a brand dis- makes you distinct from your competitors, right? And I mm-hmm. think here what JetBlue did. Every airline has a policy regarding when they're going to give you a free flight, you know, what kind of comps are going to get you if things go bad, right? Every airline has that. But JetBlue for years has actually made that one of their selling points. Their whole passenger bill of rights, where they just state right off the bat, if you're delayed for four hours on the tarmac in a plane, we're going to give you $100. No questions asked. It's 100 bucks. You shouldn't have to go through that. And it's like mm-hmm. all call-out style, graphical, interactive. It's it's great on their website. But it's because they realized, hey, this can be a brand distinctive for us. This can be a magnet to draw potential customers. And I think in this age of privacy fundamentalism, your privacy policy can be the same thing. So you can right. say things like, we will never sell your information. We'll never share your information. We're never going to bombard you with scammy email tactics. Like these kind of things go a long way to causing someone to feel safer and trusting mm-hmm. you with their private information. Yeah. And I think it's valuable to think, oh, even as we're crafting a privacy policy or, or trying to do collect data, we are going to do it in line with our value prop, right? Exactly. Uh, they're... There, you, you probably shouldn't be giving away $100 worth of free Bitcoin if, like, that is not related to your value prop in any way, right? Like, just don't think, oh, what's the most gimmicky thing that I can give out to bring in something? Think what aligns with 
Exactly. What we're trying to achieve. I think of every nonprofit that has a cruise raffle yes. for <laughs> for a gift of one dollar or more. You know, like that's like ah. What is okay. what does that actually do with the nonprofit? Whereas, like, if okay. if you're doing like you're a tree, uh, like the Audubon Society, right? And you're mm-hmm. you're raffling away a trip to visit Yosemite National Park for five days, right? All expenses paid. That is connected with your passion for the outdoors and preserving nature. Like that would be a direct mm-hmm. connection. But the Audubon Society cruise, eh, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> I'm not sure if they have one. They pro- probably would have to get a lot of carbon offsets for that. Anyway, let's jump into privacy fundamentalism's next uh, attack on the availability of data. Uh, we've talked about this in general on previous podcasts. And we just alluded to how we talked about this on previous podcasts. But Facebook on Thursday and Friday announced that they are taking more data out of the ability for marketers to target, right? And so there's a lot of things on here. You can't target ads based on um, religious information anymore. And it sounds like, oh, yes, I don't want ads targeted based on religious information. Is that, is that good? Is that bad? Like, when the privacy fundamentalist part of me is like, yes, I don't want things targeted based on religious information. What's more go. private and personal than your religion? I mean, that's that's pretty right. personal. But in some ways, this could end up in more offensive things, right? Exactly. There are not a lot of hot dog ads targeted towards observant Jews on Facebook. Because I assure you that Oscar Mayer uses... Uh, you know, people who celebrate Hanukkah as a suppression for exactly. their hot dog ads. Exactly. Right? And so now if you're a Jewish person with Facebook coming in and doing this, there's a much higher likelihood that you're going to get ads for some things that might not be kosher, right? If you're a Muslim, there's going to be a higher likelihood that you're going to get ads for things that aren't halal, right? Now- and uh, for Christians, I'm sure that there's there's similar things. and. Mm-hmm. Whatever. So it's interesting how like we're we're backing this out and we're saying we aren't going to do these things. But there's always like these unspoken stuff. Right. Um, And as a marketer, you think, oh, brand safety. Brand safety is going to be harder to achieve if Facebook's not going to let you use some of these these things. I think that that's one thing that uh, people don't really understand. Right. With a lot of the data targeting, it's not just, oh, I can share ads with you based on this data. It's I can decide to not share ads with exactly. you based on this data. Exactly. And it's it's really difficult um, to know the distinction. And, of course, it sounds like Facebook has now decided that all things being equal, they're going to go this direction. But if you're a uh, kosher or halal meat company... It's going to be harder to find your people. Well, and, and this, this raised and a question. And if you're a ho- regular hot dog company, it's going to be harder to uh, not put your ads in, in front of people who are going to vote them down or say they don't want to see them or mark them as spam. So here's the question. Ha, I yes, have. marked your hot dogs as spam. That's oh, great. Oh, I see what it's you great. did there. I wasn't even intending that one. No, you That were. one just came out of my mind. Oh, well, before we affirm that too much, it did raise a question for me. I understand Facebook's policy extends to manually going in and using interest space, right? But has mm-hmm. fa- has Facebook given any indication, Tony, 
and whether or not these this knowledge will be accessible by its algorithm when creating, for example, a lookalike audience? No, they haven't talked about that. And I think that that's one of the unspoken subtexts here is this can be more of a flag woven in the air rather exactly. than a actual change in the data. Facebook is going to still have this data on you. They're just not going to let marketers access it as directly as. Exactly. And this is, this is, and th yeah. But this is what I was going to say already is this is, or yeah, go ahead. You, well, no, you, no, you were going to say, like, gonna say you don't use it as often, right? Because like, this is where I think for a marketer listening to this saying, how will this impact me? It will directly impact you if you're in the case that Tony already ex examined where you're that halal or kosher meat company, local company that does this as a butcher shop and you're trying to get, you know, interest and you're just creating an interest-based audience. However, if you're a more savvy butcher, right, on social media and you're creating a lookalike audience of all your active customers and you're saying to Facebook, here are the people I know are customers. I know they buy my stuff. You use your algorithm to find out what they have in common. As long as Facebook's still not able to look at them and say, oh, wow, all of them celebrate this, you know, this holiday, it can still optimize in ways that make the interest-based targeting almost obsolete. And so right. that's where it's, in I feel like as marketers, you don't need to necessarily be alarmed if you're doing marketing based on your active customer list if you're only doing interest-based marketing this is going to be a bad day <laughs> right when i think that that comes down to like if you're an early stage company and you're using facebook as like a growth marketing hack exactly gonna be more difficult and it comes down to what i was saying earlier about i think like this interest-based stuff is most often used in a suppression kind of way mm -hmm. it's to say hey facebook you don't know this about my ads yet but don't show these ads to these types of people, like I'm choosing to opt this out for exactly. these specific reasons, right? Exactly. Uh, so yeah. Um, and talking about the Facebook algorithm being super smart, you were telling me you wanted to talk about an idea you had for how algorithms could help us as marketers figure out yeah. stuff about landing pages and emails. No, Tony, I, I did. And thank you for thank you for mentioning that because that's something that we've talked a lot about on the podcast. Like, you know, danger, Will Robinson, mm -hmm. the bots are coming, right? Like, you know, AI uh, is uh, everywhere, uh. right? Um, and I'm not just saying that because I recently finished binging the last season of Lost in Space on Netflix. Uh, no spoilers, please. No spoilers. No spoilers, but go check it out. Not a sponsor, but could be. All right. What I was going to say, though, is uh, I had a call recently with Unbounce and I was going through their platform. And the last time I talked to their research department, Unbounce was asking me to beta test some AI features that they were unveiling for their platform. And Unbounce isn't the only one. Yeah, hum this. humble flex there already. Thank you for your humble um, flex. Humble flex there, right? And and it was fun. It was fun to beta test. And we talked about it in a prior episode. So it's it's the same humble flex we did before anyway. So uh, <laughs> same level of humility or lack thereof. Anyway, point is, uh, Unbounce isn't the only one doing this. Lots of marketing stuff marketing tech stack companies are talking lately about AI and how it's going to revolutionize and make your job easier. And it occurred to me, Tony, that there is, there's kind of a gaping hole in this approach to how companies are utilizing AI and something that would be at least in theory and a low hanging fruit optimization that once a company does it, 
could truly differentiate themselves. So if anyone happens to be listening to this from these companies, whether it's Unbounce, HubSpot, whoever, here's an idea for you. Uh, let's take HubSpot. If you're a HubSpot client, you're sending all your emails typically through HubSpot, right? And so, so a client like my organization, we're sending out an email every single week or more to our list, right? So in a, in a given year, you probably have between 75 and 100 different emails with thousands of recipients worth of data that HubSpot's collecting, right? Open, click, all of this, right? That's all data that's ready for an AI bot to analyze and discover trends. So I would love, especially since in HubSpot, I can segment my emails, right? Based on campaign or audience or whatever. I would love for the AI bot, when I go into my email dashboard tool in HubSpot to tell me, hello, Mr. Coolidge, based on an analysis of the last 500 emails you've sent, we've mm -hmm. discovered that emails that are sent to your donor file tend to have higher open and click-through rates if they're sent at this time of day versus that time of day, if they have this length versus that length. Basically, perform a meta-analysis on how my customer base or my donor base reacts, right, mm -hmm. to that content. Unbounce could do the same thing. Right now, Unbounce's AI has gotten to the point where if I go in on any page, if I have their paid plan for AI assistance... Then right. on that individual landing page, the AI bot will say, we think you should change this font color or this headline. And if you do, we predict this range of a lift in your conversion rate. That's cool. That's great. That's very already, cool. You know, very cool. We've talked about it on the podcast already. But I have over 150 landing pages in Unbounce. So what would be even cooler for me is if Unbounce was taking all of those landing pages that are of a similar type going after the same people, right? And saying, based on these three dozen offers, we find that you get bigger conversion on this offer rather than any other offer. And on this headline versus that headline. And on this action text on the button versus that. Like, if I was getting that kind of aggregated AI analysis, that's when I think my job as a marketer would be that much easier so what do you think tony do you think that's the ai wave of the future that someone just needs to make happen or i think that would be really cool the the what that would do is it would turn like you'd be able to do more like meta experiments pardon that exactly Meta's way over used right now but uh yeah you would you'd be able to a b test your a b tests in in some sense where i could see this causing problems already is if like your HubSpot instance or your Unbounce instance is for like a house of brands and you've got 150, like you're, you're telling me you got 150 Unbounce pages, right? Mm -hmm. They're all pretty much oriented towards similar audiences. Maybe they're targeted based on like a source or buyer persona, right? But if you're running an Unbounce for like, a, let's say a nonprofit that has sure. three very distinct programs and you might be interested in one program and you're just not interested in the others, right? Like, or maybe your audience doesn't even realize that you're partnered with these other two groups, right? If you have three very distinct audiences and you've got 50 unbounced pages for one, 50 for the next, and 50 for the third, maybe this ability to like analyze pages at scale with AI isn't going to help you as much because you have such distinct audiences. No, that's, so that's, that's where it'd be really true. cool is, is if you could put parameters around it for the AI tool and say like, 
give me AI recommendations just on this grouping of 50 pages. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. So if, if I was scoping this out as unbounced, you should put this into your product roadmap. I would say create an ability to do AI across pages and then create an ability to Categorize. have that segmented exactly. based on categorization. Yeah. Um, and and I, I guess like the other use case for this would be is like if an agency is standing up pages in unbounced for multiple clients within the same within the same unbounced instance, you would have the same thing. Like an agency that has small business clients, they could have ten unbounced pages for for ten different clients. If you're aggregating that stuff across those hundred pages, might start to get weird. And it's yeah. interesting because when when companies like Unbounce or HubSpot are starting to do this, they're 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 already trying to leverage the fact that they're collecting data on all their customers. So like right now, HubSpot, if you go in their email tool, tells you coming soon, open rate averages, unsubscribe rate averages, etc. across industry based on HubSpot's data from all of their clients. So there's yeah. an AI analysis taking place already, aggregating data across an industry from users all over the world to use HubSpot. And so yeah. this is I really think they do they HubSpot's done reports on that, but they don't give it to you in real time and let you Yeah, and now we're getting yeah. to real time. And so this is where again I feel like as we talk about privacy fundamentalism, as we talk about companies amassing data, it's not just about marketers. This is about those CRM and software as a service industry getting to amass that data and hopefully create a better system for us. Um, yeah. Great. Well, talking about creating a be better system. So let's move into what some generals are saying. Associations Now Magazine says already, and this is like so straightforward. I'm like, I'm like, should I include this? But if you're an association or a nonprofit that uses sort of a membership model, yeah. Associations Now says sell a dues increase with a benefits increase. And that's just, that seems so basic. Why? But like, I think that, yeah. people should hear it. It's worth stating. Yes. I've been in an association where they're like, we're going to have to raise the dues. And yeah. then they're like, and we're going to have to like, do this new program that our members need. And I'm like, connect them, connect them. And we will have less people upset about the membership increase. Yes. yes. So anyway, associations now just has a case study where a bunch of associations did that and people complain less than they did when they separated those two things. And that's something that I, I just saw recently as a customer, I use an online budgeting application service and I love it. And <laughs> I uh, found that they were getting ready to increase their, their subscription fee. But did they just announce, hey, we're upping our cost? No. Savvy marketers that they were, they explained that, you know, the, right now we're wanting to provide X level of service to our growing user base, right? We want to do more tutorials. Mm -hmm. We want to do more open webinars. We want to do all this stuff to equip you to control your finances, right? But in order to do that, it's going to cost money. And as a result, we need to increase marginally, right, our subscription fee so that you can get this exponential increase in service provided. And I, mm -hmm. I looked at that and I was like, that's brilliant. Now, I still wasn't thrilled about the fact I was going to be paying more. But right. at least I could have something to look to mm -hmm. as a benefit going forward that I, in theory, didn't have before. And so mm -hmm. I think that's just an important reminder for all of us. Don't, 
don't try to get more value out of your clients without giving them more value. Like, let's just be decent <laughs> human beings. This is Christmas, the season That's of it, giving. Brand. It goes back to brand. What we're saying, yes. people think about the value that you give them rather than, and it's better if they think about what value you're giving them what, rather than what you're trying to extract from them monetarily. Exactly. Uh, I know we're we're running short on time here, but one of our favorite generals and friends of the podcast, Nathaniel Yellis, at yes. a LinkedIn post recently, I was like, oh, we'll talk about this. Yes. So he says, hey, marketers, segmentation matters. A company I've purchased from a ton, never at their store, always online, just sent me an email. What did the email say? What their store's holiday hours are, of course. For online customers, your location's hours are useless. That shouldn't be a hard group to segment out of your email audience. That's, End quote. <laughs> That's great. And I do this too, Artie. I mean, like, I know who's donated to my organization online, who's exactly. donated. Exactly. Who's donated in the mail and exactly. who's donated in like a hybrid way. And to be honest, like, we don't send the in the mail people. No as much right like exactly for the december 31st midnight is the deadline mm -hmm. we'll send them an email just to see if they want to give online right but we're not gonna send them th that email and three reminders right because they've shown us before like oh exactly. you daddy you donate year in year out if they haven't donated so far it's probably because that check's still in the mail exactly. they're not gonna donate online exactly right yes uh, yeah no, Tony, that is that is such a great and humorous example of why we just need to be better as marketers thinking about this logically. Who actually needs to know this? And maybe you're listening to this going, but I'm a nonprofit. I don't make that mistake. And I'm like, well, actually, are you sending emails to your donors who never donate through the mail, telling them a new like caging facility to send their check to? I don't know. Maybe you have. I've seen that kind of email go out, right? Are, yeah. you know, are you sending to your donors who are only donating emails about your service hours, which really mm -hmm. should only be going to people who receive the benefits of your nonprofit as a service, right? Right. And I think this goes to how you educate and interact with marketing adjacent people in your organization. Exactly. Because a lot of marketing adjacent people know the lingo, and but in their mind, they think, oh, the more people we send this to, the better. Yep. And it's like, yeah, sometimes the more segmented our communication. Exactly. Exactly. Tony, this has been great. I'm so excited that we were able to get together here in the trench. We're excited that you joined us here in the busyness of your Christmas season. We'd love to hear your thoughts about any of this. Are you a marketer who's nervous about meta? I mean, Facebook's changes to your, uh, to your targeting package. Are you someone who gets excited at the thought of what AI could do for us or has scary flashbacks of a Terminator franchise film when mm. you hear us talk about AI. If so, drop us a line, as they say, at marketingtrenchwarfare at gmail.com. Until next time, whenever that might be, on a Thursday or otherwise, I'm Artie Coolidge. I'm Tony Kavicki. And we'll catch you guys later. Artie and Tony are nonprofit marketing directors. Views and opinions expressed on this podcast are as of date of recording, are independent of their employers, and are not to be used as investment or legal advice.